Okay, today my guest is Professor Noel Capon. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Noel as a person. Professor Capon is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Capon is professor of international marketing at Columbia Business School. He's an expert in international marketing, competitive strategy, and Chinese businesses. He has published more than 80 articles and book chapters and more than 40 books. Uh, the local versions of his books have been published in Asia Pacific, Brazil, China, Russia, Spanish Latin America, Western Europe, and the Middle East. He received uh, Jerome Chazin and George Robbins Awards for teaching international business at Columbia and UCLA. He also wrote a poetry book, Life and Death and Odyssey, which is, well, I hope we can talk about that one, which received two prizes. In addition to academic publications, he has developed a number of teaching notes and case studies. Thank you, Noel, for joining us. Thank you very much. So let's start with uh, uh, the poetry book. How did you write that? What's what's told about? Uh, oh, the po the poetry book. Uh, uh, that's somewhat of a long story. Uh, the uh, basic issue is that my wife's great aunt uh, uh, was 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 married to an NBC uh, uh, journalist. Um, uh, and he worked for NBC in in Japan. And uh, after uh, the, the war, um, he was, uh, I guess, working for for the U.S. government. But he was sent to Hiroshima to uh, to set up the radio station in Hiroshima. And when he uh, was about to leave, which is, I guess, around 1946, something like that, to return to the U.S., one of the people who worked for the radio station gave him this uh, sort of school school kids uh, sort of blue book uh, with with some material in it. Now, uh, when, when the, the great aunt died in uh you know now i guess 15 20, 20 years ago my wife and i had the we were the closest geographically closest living relatives uh to where she lived on on long island on in port washington on long island new york we had the job of you know sort of taking down the house and uh and so forth and, you know my, my wife uh, uh, spent time, you know, with the uh, the crockery and the the uh, uh, any valuables that we found, uh, and I was sent to the the attic. And when I was going through the attic, I found this book which had Hiroshima on it, uh, this little school kids book, and I sort of threw that in in my bag and looked at it sometime later, and it was a. Uh, in effect, it was a letter written by this person who worked for the uh, Hiroshima radio station that he'd given to uh, my wife's great aunt's husband. Uh, and what it was, it described uh, his experience in the day and the two or three days after the, the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. He was in Hiroshima 
Uh, I guess he was hidden. Uh, no, no, the uh, the person who wrote the book was in Hiroshima when the bomb dropped. I guess was hiding behind uh, a wall or something. And he wrote what he experienced that that day and the next two or three days as he went around Hiroshima on his bicycle, uh, seeing what, what went on. So I, I took that document and sort of turned it into uh into a into a poem uh and got that published uh in a local magazine in uh in, in around new york city perfect thank you uh noel what did you want to become when you were a child uh i'm i don't really have any any good memory of that that so you know often Kids want to be uh, a policeman or a fireman or something, uh, that sort of profession, because that, those are the sort of authority figures they see around. I didn't really have any of that, but I do remember in my uh, you know, early teens, uh, sort of family members, uncles, aunts, talking about I ought to be a teacher. Uh, but I don't remember any anything that i that i personally generated and where, where did you grow up yeah i was i was just growing up i was i was focused on the present rather than the rather than the future but i guess that was some an idea i had in my in my head was put in my head pretty early on so where did you grow up uh, are we talking well, where about did i grow up uh, i grew up in in southampton uh in in england which is the uh major uh, england's major passenger port it's on the on the south coast of, of england opposite france and how did you uh, come to the us and how did you decide to uh, pursue a career in academia okay well i, I first came to the us in uh, uh, when i graduated my undergraduate college in 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 london uh, and uh, in fact, I traveled across to uh, uh, to the west to the west coast to uh, uh, to uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, and then then came uh, in in a drive away car. There was a system at the time where uh, the U.S. automakers uh, uh, hired agency. There was an agency in Detroit, and the agency's job was to get new uh new uh, automobiles uh you know elsewhere in the states so i had linked up with this agency in detroit uh and driven i guess it was a must have been a 1960 chevrolet across to spokane uh stayed on the west coast a few days and then went back and spent the summer uh in in in, in toronto uh, so I'd had this idea of going to the, coming to the state, visiting the U.S. for a long time, uh, and then uh, after you know, uh, you know, a short career as a marketing ex executive, um, uh, went to applied to and went to Manchester Business School in the, in, in its second year of, of, of operation, uh, did fairly well there. And at the time, uh, the, the British government had some had grants. It was an organization called the Foundation for Management and Education. I think they funded 
both London and Manchester business schools. And I earned a scholarship to, uh, uh, I went to Harvard, for, did the second year of the Harvard MBA program. Uh, by that time, I decided I did not want to be exec an executive. I didn't like the uh, sort of bureaucracy that I found uh, the company I worked had in England. And so applied for PhD, PhD programs and was accepted at, at Columbia. I joined Columbia in uh, in the marketing division as a PhD student in uh, 1969. Okay. And <clears throat> something that is not on your CV that people <clears throat> might find interesting about you. Oh, uh, a couple of things, I guess. One is that uh, uh, I went, uh, I'd always run as a, uh, been running as a major sport in 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 high school. Uh, uh, then I had some leg injuries, but I went back to running in my forties, early forties, and and did a a sub uh, sub three hour marathon, which I was very pleased about. I guess that's one issue. The second issue would probably be that that my wife is is a, a very famous. Or very well accomplished, well recognized developmental psychologist, uh, but she used a different name, so most most people don't know that. Okay, thank you. Uh, if you could do it all over again, uh, would you change anything, or what's the second best career path for you? Uh, no, no, I would not. I'm very, very happy with the career path I, I in effect stumble stumbled into, and of. Uh, uh very happy with 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 doing the research I do and the teaching I do so no I'm extremely happy with the with the sort of career path that turned out it didn't start out so smoothly but uh, but I, uh, I got it worked into the part that didn't work out smoothly was the marketing executive portion or uh, academically uh, no. the scholarship it's it's really academic. It re, re, really dates goes back to the the sort of difference between the British education system and and a more liberal education system as they have in the United States. In Britain, uh, as a child, you get channeled very very early. So um, you know there's the eleven plus examination to see if you're likely to uh, flourish with your mind or or, or with with your hands. And you go to different schools. I I I I I pass that exam, and then when you get into the gra grammar school, you take these uh, the set of exams: the O level exams, the ordinary level GCE exams, uh, with, a, with a fair number of of subjects. But then, uh, if you stay on school after sixteen, you specialize. So after sixteen, my school studies were were just chemistry, physics, pure mathematics, and applied math mathematics. Uh, uh, so you get channeled very early, and, and then at the university level, uh, you apply to a department rather than university. So I applied to chemist chemistry departments. I'd sort of got some idea I wanted to do that, uh, work in that, in that field. Uh, uh, so... But 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 what? So so you end up leaving high school having pretty good knowledge in in the subjects that you take, but you don't have this sort of broader 
sort of liberal liberal education. So uh, uh, that's what I wish I, I had had, but uh, certainly in England at the time, that uh, that didn't exist. Okay, thank so, you. Okay, so uh, let's talk about research a bit. Uh, what, uh, what, what do you explain, or how do you explain your research to people who don't read uh, scholarly journals? And why your research is important uh, to, to uh, regular layman? Okay, so regular. Uh, I guess what I would say about that is is my main uh, main research thrust has been been in marketing, uh, and what marketing is about ultimately is about securing you know we're in a, a capitalist system where we have companies and the way that companies survive and grow is by serving serving customers so that's uh and marketing is the heart of that so that's essentially why i, I ended up going into in in, in into marketing but that i in a ditch that sort of broad thrust but then also um uh, there's been a, uh, an issue of uh, of opportunism. If if I came across an area that was very that I found interesting, uh, I, I did work on that. So one example of that would would be the area of credit scoring in in granting uh, credit and the, the tension between what credit bureaus do and what credit scoring companies. So I got I got very interested in that in the uh, in the late in mid late seventies when I was at UCLA, um, and uh, you know wrote a couple of papers uh, about that. Had some impact, I think, on legislation. I testified uh, before the U.S. Senate. Had a couple of op eds published in the Times, New York Times, and the Washington Post. So that was sort of an opportunistic thing, but. Basically, it's been uh, to do with, uh, you know, sir, in some form of serving customers, uh, uh, and that's sort of what's has taken me also into into some work in the in the international business field. About IB, uh, things that you see, uh, things that have been omitted from the IB research, things that we should have done more of, things that have been neglected in the area. Okay, I, I I think one that's been neglected uh, uh, is a focus on customers, especially um, in in B two B, where the firm is customers are other other firms, other organizations. I think the uh, the focus has tended to be on. Uh, with respect to international business, should we enter a country uh, market? If so, how do we enter it? Do we do it by export or do we do it by uh, setting up operations? Uh, do we do a de novo entry you know, do we, or do we by ourselves or do we have joint venture partners or strategic alliances? That that sort of uh, sort of thing. Uh uh, there's been much less focus on 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 the customers, uh, and I think that's a, a, a major a major problem. So we have, I think, 
is for many B2B companies, many large B2B companies who service customers, who have customers around the world, um, their organization structures are not uh, linked to their organization structures do not follow the strategy, you know, a basic principle of management is that structure follows strategy, that in fact is not has not occurred. Uh, And I think it's not occurred because there's been a a lack of focus on uh, on the firm's current and potential customers. Let's expand on this one. Uh, you're talking about business to business organizations, some intermediate uh, goods, uh, right. not uh, consumer oriented uh, products. We're talking about uh, hidden champions or the Chinese uh, type no, of I'm talking, What I'm talking about is, is, is the following. Uh, the, uh, and the, the, the initial work here was done by Ray Vernon in, in, uh, at Harvard in the late 1960s, uh, Ray Verde and Louis, Louis Wells, uh, they have a book. Uh, what you, You've got to really go back to the end of the Second World War when the uh, European industrial infrastructure was in pretty bad shape uh, you know, because of the war, whereas the United States industrial infrastructure was in pretty good good shape there'd be no no war issues in the united states main in the main 48 states the only one which is obviously very serious was was pearl harbor but the industrial infrastructure was in pretty good shape uh and what american companies saw was a tremendous opportunity in 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 europe uh in 1968 jean-jacques servant schreiber uh, a European a Frenchman, I, th- I believe French, wrote the uh, American Challenge, the Defi American, in which he was concerned about the success that American companies had had in in Europe. And this was uh, for a pro- uh, potential problem for for European comp- uh, c- companies. Uh, around that time, Ray Vernon at Harvard. Uh, embarked on a uh, research pro- program to, to figure out how American companies have been so, so successful. And they, they focused on, on the organization structures, what structures had American companies used to be successful in, in Europe. Um, now, they looked at all sorts of companies, but in terms of B2B, they came up with, I think, three major major organization structures. The first was um, was export. Firms formed export divisions to export products into into Europe. Uh, The second uh, was uh, an international uh, an international division, and IBM was the sort of poster child for this. IBM, uh, in addition to, to, to domestic US IBM, IBM then set up independent, semi-independent subsidiaries in various in various countries: IBM Germany, IBM Britain, IBM Japan, IBM France, and 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 so forth, uh, overseen by an organization called IBM World Trade, to which these various international these various country uh country organizations uh reported that organization then morphed into uh what we 
it was termed a geographic area structure where the where the initial ones were typically the US would be one uh, one region region because it was so 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 big then there were a second would be the in effect the rest of the Americas you know Latin America and the Caribbean a third would be uh, Europe Middle East and Africa often called EMEA uh, and then the fourth would be Asia or typically Asia Pacific because Australia and New Zealand were often uh, incorporated into in, into Asia, and then later the those organizations went down to three. Typically, as the U.S. became uh, uh, less dominant as a revenue generator, it got morphed into North in, in into the into the America. So, in many com- com- companies today, you have three major geographic divisions run by very senior very powerful uh, regional vice presidents the americas uh, emea and then asia asia, asia pacific uh, is that the is that the current setup in the current modern organization i see i i i think there needs to be more research research on it. i uh, just uh, i i talked to a fair number of of international executives and that seems to me fairly common Okay. Uh, about uh, about the PhD uh, experience, the program experience. Uh, you you've seen hundreds of uh, students. You've seen hundreds of junior faculty across uh, young scholars. What are some of the common mistakes that you see uh, that is repeatedly uh, appearing? Okay, uh, let me get a bit. Maybe I should f- finish the the point I was just talking about. So that's the structure. The, stru- the structure I, I see. So what companies are doing are figuring out how to operate in France and how to operate in Germany and so forth, uh, or how to operate in Japan, but di- different countries. But the problem is in B two B, the customers do not necessarily make their decisions country by country by country they make their decisions globally uh and, and as we know there's been a lot of improvement in the way in procurement practice in the last 10 15 15 years so the customer companies they don't want to make 20 different contracts with a supplier when in each country they want to make one global global contract uh, they want to do things like making sure the the product they buy the supply they buy from from belgium is the same as the product they buy from from japan so they can uh automate things in in their own company uh, uh so the way b2b companies are tending to look at the world is they 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 want to integrate what they're doing across companies across countries where supplier structures are often set up so they deal country by country and that so that's what i mean with where, where there's a problem now there are some recent changes uh, you know ibm has has got a different system now so does cisco that are trying to deal with those uh, this sort of mismatch between the regional country regional organization that the, the supplier has and and the, uh, the the more integrated sets of decisions that the cus- the customer wants uh uh so the, the ben- uh, so, so that you, what you often hear from 
uh, customer company says, I want one point of contact. I want someone within my supplier I can talk to. But the way the supplier is set up is that they have 20 different people, an account manager in each, in each country. So there's a, a mismatch between strategy and structure. Uh, and I think that that's an area where there's been a, a much less work than there needs to have been done. Uh, but now your your question was about uh, 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 about about uh, uh, about the patients about uh, the advice part. We'll, we'll come back to it. But uh, based on let me follow up on uh, what you just explained about structured conduct performance. Uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, there are companies like that, but there are also companies that are doing just opposite. Right, uh, right now uh, I'm thinking of. Uh, electrical commodities, electrical uh, products like Schneider versus Bosch. Uh, the Bosch company is exactly what you're explaining, but Schneider uh, has switched to a more flexible, more compartmentalized, maybe uh, modular design, and they are more uh, flexible across the world, right? Uh, they, uh, uh, you can't find examples for both sides of that argument. I, I, I say think that's right. I, th I think there's there's an ev 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 evolution, but I think there's a, pro a pr company. I mean, no, the companies that, that manage a uh, uh, a geographic region structure, uh, and there are there. I mean, there are other ways to solve solve the pro the problem, but companies I hear an awful lot uh, from customer companies that say, I want a single point of contact. I want one person I can, can, can deal with who can give me answers across the world from the, uh, uh, from, from the supplier. And that's why you tend, you have this uh, uh, field of glo global account management or global account managers who are responsible for one customer Around, uh, around around the around the world and have sort of built that those people into an organization uh stru structure that 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 sort of fits that that strategy uh, uh no i'm sure you know, i'm sure they're right across the board there there are, are companies in, in all phases of those sorts of relationships but I, but i think that's what one where we've seen somewhat less uh, less work you know you one of your questions was do the omitted variables i think that's an uh, omitted uh, omitted variable that's right thank you uh about the advice mentoring part uh common mistakes that you see across the board for uh, juniors uh, well i say let me turn that around and say what i what i think a junior faculty or a doctoral student should do is is one is 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 find the right find the right advisor, find someone who's really doing uh, doing good 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 research, and then uh, work very hard very hard for that for that advisor. Um, you know, to take the goal that as as the assistant you're trying to make that advisor successful and make that research be be successful. Uh, and what you what that will turn into is where you start off with the the faculty member, your advisor's ideas. But if you work hard and do do a good job, 
and and learn about the the topic the 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 topics and the problems that's what will evolve is a system where you are coming up with the ideas for the for for the advisor and then you and the advisor become successful together uh well then that, that will give you both a start in your career but also give you um a lot of support from that advisor who you have worked very hard for so i, I think one is you 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 just got to work hard uh pick the pick the right advisor which may be not not so easy but then then work hard with for for that that advisor and understand that understand what the rules of the game are I and mean, the rules of the game are for doctoral students and young faculty or to publish to to do interesting interesting work that other people want 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 to read uh that will be both fulfilling in in in, in of itself will help your advisor and also start to develop a reputation uh that that you can then use to advance with either within your your school or university or or you move to another another school or university that sort of thing right. who was your advisor uh i had various advisors uh going through i think the uh, uh the first advisor was a guy called ken simmons uh simmons was, was a new zealander he got his phd at university of indiana uh, and he was the uh, when Manchester Business School opened in 1967, I think it was. Uh, he was he was hired as the marketing the marketing professor. It was a small school, so there was only one. Uh, and he was very influential in 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 helping me uh, get into earn this foundation for management education grant to go to. To go to go to Harvard, um, the second person there were sort of three of them. They were then my advisors at Columbia. John Howard was chair of the of the division, uh, but then my major advisors were were John Farley, who had been hired by Columbia from Carnegie Mellon, uh, and a guy called Mac Holbrook, who was also another Englishman. He was hired on the. He had, actually was hired on the faculty the same year uh, that I joined as a doctoral student, uh, and I did a lot of work uh, uh, and had books and papers with both Farley and and with Holbrook. Can you remember the best advice they gave you? Uh, uh, Frankly, no. Just a lot, a lot of encouragement to. Uh, uh, I, I think I think you know, uh, it wasn't give, never give, given to me me direct, direct directly, but just in uh, observing uh, John John Farley, uh, and uh, just in seminars that so, you know we would be in a there would be a marketing seminar, it would be a visiting scholar or maybe. A, a doctoral student who was looking for, you know, looking for 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 a job, interviewing for a job, um, and you, you know, the seminar would proceed. The 
speaker would say things, there would be questions and so forth. And then Fadi would, would ask a question which would be right out of the blue, would seem to be have nothing whatever to do with what the speaker was talking about at a superficial level, but was a much deeper, deeper question. Um, and so he had this ability to, to sort of uh, uh, get under the surface of the topic and ask more, more fundamental and interesting questions. And I think so in, in that sense, I would say, not that he, he told me anything, but just in terms of, of observing the way he, 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 he operated. I, I found that, I think that was quite influential on me. Uh, and it sort of led me to then take on these, these, these topics, uh, which, which were sort of opportunistic, if you like, may have been not been in the normal course of it, like my, like the credit scoring work I mentioned just now. Uh, do you find yourself repeating what you have seen and observed from your advisors, uh, with your students, or with the guest speakers that come to? your school or oh certainly i try to do that to to, to look more more deeply at, at questions and try to come up with you know pro uh, questions research questions and things which 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 may not be uh, uh may not be common yeah i think the, this the work i just talked about the uh, um the organization structure for global companies as they concerns their customers i think i don't think i've seen that uh before but i've been mulling around that for quite a while uh, that sort of uh, come to the surface thank you uh, for the sake of time last question uh what's the question that i should have asked you about Evans? a question you should have asked me about oh, oh a question you uh, well, what's the question i should have asked you about heavens oh but have not uh I don't know. We've we've, we've covered a pretty broad, uh, broad, broad sense of uh, 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 of personal and and uh, and 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 professional. Uh, and you could have asked me of uh, you know what what's the best work I think I've done or some, or something like that. And okay. I'm not quite sure what <laughs> what my answer to that would be because I've worked worked in a number. Of, of of areas, um, you might ask me where you, where I see international business going. Let's uh, talk about that one. Where is <laughs> IB going? Okay. Uh, well, I think there are. Um, I mean, there are a set of very inter interesting questions. Uh, so, so I had well, I was at a seminar yesterday, uh, and uh, at Columbia, at Columbia Business School, and one of the speakers was a uh, a young woman uh, she was an assistant professor in 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 finance uh that's less important than the fact that she's uh also uh ukrainian i guess ukrainian american but her hometown is uh, she said is just 10 miles away from bakhmut where all there's been all this fighting in over the past uh, uh past past few few weeks 
Um, and after the seminar, I, I asked the question, uh, which has been on my, on my mind, what should be Columbia's or any American university's position on admitting uh, students from Russia? Uh, you know, cl clearly Russia is a bet noir uh, of the U.S. right now. Uh, should the U.S. should uh, U.S. institutions, higher education institutions, ad ad admit Russians, Russian students? Um, and the uh, uh, so we had some of a conversation about that, um, uh, and, and what she said was that the the major view would be certainly in Ukraine absolutely not you know we don't want anything to do with russia russia's invaded us nothing will ever do with russia but she said she didn't have that view uh that uh that if bright russian students were enabled to get out of russia they could add to that there would be less bright people in russia on the one hand and also uh that would be a, a benefit to the us as so many immigrants have benefited the of the us um so i think so the, the translation there there's as a sort of international business thing but the translation to international business is how how do companies start to think about the country the countries in which they're going to do to do business do they take a sort of short-term view on the way things are now or do they take a longer term view on what what might be an appropriate decision uh for some future which is yet undefined i mean i'm thinking of uh if anyone had, had spoken to uh certainly an english person and, and maybe yeah others on the continent of whether or not they would have wanted to in 1946 of whether they'd want to do business in germany uh the answer certainly would be would have been no and now germany is of course evolved it's you know one of the us's major allies in 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 europe so i think there are going to be a set a set of decisions uh that companies are going to have to make about you know where who they do business with, where the, where 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 they do 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 business, you know, they take a short term view or they take a, a long term view, longer term view, which may be uh, uh, not popular at, at at the moment. So I think there there are a whole set of questions uh, uh, about where internationally firms do 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 business that. Uh, uh, are perhaps more pertinent today than they have been for the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Thank you. Uh, Noel, this was very informative. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you for the invitation.